Rangers. Almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Five shirt final, Joe Patrick. I like the draw better than the win. Oh wow, that's uh, yeah. I I know what you mean though. I mean, I don't because the feels, but I do think they play better, which I think is what you're alluding to. Oh, it's exactly what I'm alluding to, and I think it's going to be the crux of the entire show as I desperately try to convince folks that this is heading in the right direction once again. Even though I felt like that's what I did for. 90% of like the last like six or seven games last year. Uh, I'm seeing it though. I'm seeing it though. We're having, I promise. We're having to fight off Rob Usry's uh, pessimism on, <laughs> oh shit, I just knocked my, my microphone on, uh, you know, on Twitter and things. I get it. People are impatient and people want, people want the goals to be flowing and everything. And on another day, they may have. Uh, and this team, I think it's important to just kind of remember that this team is still putting the pieces together a little bit with Yakamakas. When you talk about a player like him, obviously not fully involved and integrated yet. Obviously he played half an hour, but he's literally had one training session. So there's a lot more to come from this team. And I think that the early signs that we're seeing so far are a major improvement over what we saw from this team last year. Just to see progress from week one to week two, I think is huge because it it felt like it took many, many weeks to see progress last year. It just didn't happen. Then it kept getting set back and set back and set back because of the injuries, you know? So just to see a clear like delineation between point A and point B is really encouraging on my end for sure. Yeah, and it's really interesting now that they have the whole Apple, the new Apple TV postgame setup. We're hearing from the opposing coaches first, uh, and it's really interesting to get their perspective on these games with Luchi Gonzalez last week and then Bob Bradley yesterday. And I think it is, uh, you know, kind of a sober opinion when you hear it from an opposing coach about, you know, their opinion of how Atlanta United played. And I thought Bob Bradley was full of praise for the way that Atlanta United played in the game, basically admitted that they completely stopped Toronto from playing any kind of football. Um, and basically they, you know, took advantage of their opening. And obviously he had plaudits for his own team and the way that they kind of fought and were able to defend for most of the game. But clearly that's not the way that they want to play. And it is the way that Atlanta United wants to play. So I think you have to give credit to Atlanta United for just kind of playing the game on the terms that they wanted yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at the numbers and you see a Toronto team that had four shots. I think one of them, their best chance of the day, as Gonzalo pointed out, was allowed by an offside call that yeah. like, ended up not mattering. So they just let it run. It's so funny. I was, I was wondering during the phase of play when that happened, like how that works statistically. If they give Brad the credit for the save, which I guess they do. Yeah, yeah it counts it, as a shot and everything because they just allowed play to continue. And I think that was If it had gone in, they, of course, would have removed it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think we're talking about like maybe 0.1 something XG for Toronto mm-hmm. on the day. I mean, every single mm-hmm. one of their shots, like 0.03, 0.04. And of course, the one that goes in from Bernardeschi was like 0.03. You know, uh, yeah. one of those things. And, and we'll talk about maybe why that went in later on down the road. But first, we have to tell you that the intro was by Kurt Castle. You can find his music this, everywhere you everywhere you want to find his music. It, it's probably out there. The, the song is Chances. The song is Chances. And he's got some stuff coming out right now as well. He's producing, et cetera, et cetera. Kurt Castle on Spotify and elsewhere. Uh, go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. We got plenty of stuff up on there we're going to continue to add stuff we're going to continue to get back in the groove of adding things uh throughout the entire season <laughs> we, we've been a little little slow lately but we're, we're going to keep working back to it and getting y'all stuff that uh we know y'all be interested in uh like you know we sometimes do like video breakdowns and stuff like that all that that has been severely reduced ever since mls lost their their whole thing with, with they cut off our they our cut off our supply but let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that other teams around the league are also uh, eager to get that supply back as well. It's been an interesting <laughs> uh, transition period as far as data and video analysis goes in MLS. And that's all I'll say right now uh, for right now. But definitely Patreon.com slash 5 final. We're going to have plenty of stuff throughout the year. Cool? Yeah. Last week we talked to Jared Smith. We'll have talks from the training ground between us hear from members of the team and all that so yeah there'll be lots of stuff going up there recommend everybody go and checking us out and 
helping contribute to this project that we do. Big thing is you get to join Discord. Discord's awesome. We love the Discord. Yeah, the yeah. That's, that's, community. that's the, probably the um, biggest perk in and of itself. <laughs> absolutely. And the biggest perk listening to the show, Joe Patrick, is that you get the Sports Prime Game Time jingle right now. That's right. Sports Prime. Did you listen to it? I haven't listened to your new one. I haven't listened to that. No, it's the worst one ever. I got I got check it out. Uh, it's very nice ladies. Nice. It's all. I do the whole thing. Do what I think the voice sounds like, it. and it doesn't sound like. It's a game time. Sports prime game time. Joe, Patrick, and again, I thought all of this was better, and I want to kind of get into kind of the minutia of why I think that, and it starts with the off-ball movement, and it starts with how that off-ball movement kind of manifested itself in what I've come to i've decided i'm calling it chaotic good positioning Mm -hmm. so it's these moments where you go okay wait how did that player end up there and why are they there and why did good things happen because they ended up there so for example like like brooks lennon running running to the like brooks (laughs) lennon running through the middle (laughs) exactly exactly this is exactly what i wanted to bring up so there was one play in particular and he did this a couple times where he makes like it's not even really fair to call it an underlapping run. I have called it an underlapping run because he is technically underlapping. It's just by like the entire field, you know. So he, yeah. he ends up kind of running through the heart of the 18-yard box in the middle of the 18-yard box and, and drags defenders and they don't really know where he's coming from and gets the ball in behind a couple times and gets a shot off Had a huge chance at one point kind of getting in behind on an underlapping run. Uh, but I looked up in the middle of one of those where he kind of had a chance. And realized that Brooks had ended up on the left side of the 18-yard box. And Gutman was on the right side of the 18-yard box. And they somehow <laughs> kind of switched in the middle of all the chaos and ended up together. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that you have to have if you're going to be a high-possession team that faces low blocks. You have to have the chaotic good positioning where you take a risk every now and then. I know the team wants to do their whole, what Gonzalo has termed, active defending which is basically, I think in Spanish, it's more like a marking while attacking, you know, that they want to set uh-huh. themselves up in positions to counter press, to regain possession, all that kind of thing. Sometimes that makes them a little stiff. But when you can take the risk and find the right. moments to take the risk uh, uh, to position yourself in places that the defense isn't expecting, you're going to generate chances. And they were able to do that plenty of times. It reminds me of this. Uh, have you ever heard of this like apocalyptic theory that like the poles could flip on the on the on the earth and it would set into motion like all these catastrophic like earthquakes and tidal waves and everything. Like we'd, <laughs> That's we'd like, suddenly be on the, the ceiling or something like a. E- I don't know. So, yeah, something uh, terrible would happen, I guess. But uh, yeah, that that just reminded me of that of like Lennon and and, and Gutman. It's like the uh, <laughs> the the polar inversion of Atlantean. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I totally agree. And you know, honestly, too, when you when those players make those movements, it makes an opposing opposing defender like think about that and having to account for that for you know the rest of the game or just understanding that that's that's something that could happen and. It was really hard for Toronto. I mean, they had to eventually just pack everybody in. And even then, they were allowing Atlanta United to to work the ball in closer. And that's, to me, what was most impressive from the team last night was their uh, conscious effort to trying to create those better chances by working the ball into those more dangerous service areas from that little bit closer, you know, uh, Gonzalo calls them the the primary assist zones or whatever, but it seemed like a much more conscious effort to get in there. There was even a moment early in that game with Brooks Lennon and Luis Araujo and it's like you and there was a moment where it's like everyone understood that Luis Araujo really wanted to shoot at this certain moment, but he didn't, you know, he did, he, he did the good thing. He stayed sober and um <laughs> they they ended up working the ball in and that's just the thing that they need to do. It's unfortunate that the team didn't really get their reward in this one uh, as opposed to last week when they kind of did get the reward of the win even though they did probably more things better in this one obviously as you've alluded to yeah, exactly there's progress in it and it's one of those things like i said we didn't really see too often especially not game to game like that and it wasn't like last week i think we saw etienne come in 
I think we saw even Miguel Berry come in and things started to get better. The only real change in the starting lineup with this one was Miguel Berry coming in. And I thought Berry mm-hmm. was very good. I really liked his work rate. Yeah, I did too. I liked his uh, pressing ability. I-, I thought he was active. I thought he was ending up in interesting positions. A couple of times there was one point where, I mean, he hasn't had a lot of time to train with the team. He hasn't a lot of time to learn like who goes where. And maybe that's kind of a benefit for him because at one point he switched off with Louise and Louise was kind of like, oh, wait, shit, someone's doing this with me. I don't really know what's going on here. <laughs> right, yeah. And ended up, Louise ended up central and Barry ended up out wide and it was Barry getting into the primary assist zone and Louise mm-hmm. running through the heart of the 18 yard box. And that was a really threatening moment. It was super interesting to see it happen kind of in real time as I kept my eye on Barry. So Barry was doing really solid things. Um, but then, of course, it gets better when, when Yakamakis and, and Etienne get at it. It improves to that, like, finer degree. You know, I was mm-hmm. I wrote about it today in the striker.com. Subscribe to the striker.com, please, and thank you so I can eat food. But I'm watching, like, the F1 race this morning, you know, and the difference in a good driver and a great driver is, like, tense, if that, per lap, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And when you're Atlanta United and you're trying to get the interplay in the final third and you're trying to get that final ball just right, yeah, I think Caleb and, and Barry were doing a great job, but there's still that like fine difference between what someone like Etienne and Yakamakis can bring that could really make the difference in these kind of critical moments in the final third where we're like, why can't Atlanta find the final ball? You know, that plus mm-hmm. time and continuity is going to pay off in a big way for Atlanta United as long as these same principles and the same game model are continuously applied because it, it is clearly working. There is proof of concept here. Yeah, Etienne and Yako, you know, I think what it comes down to is both those players are better at operating in tighter spaces just because they have these, just a, a, a finer level of technical ability. Um, as opposed to, you know, Wiley and Barry, they showed flashes that they can be good when they've got kind of space ahead of them to work and space to run into and they can be threatening those situations, especially Caleb. I mean, he, you know, put a lot of, uh, you know, really good pressure uh, off when the team was off the ball. He intercepted a pass and created a chance early on in the game. Um, good to see from him. But I really think that, you know, once this team is is fully healthy and a lot of these guys get fit. And I did talk to Derek in the locker room yesterday, which I just remembered. I haven't sent you that audio <laughs> yet, Sam, so I'm sorry. You, you asked me to send it to you and I totally forgot, uh, as always. But um, he did say like he kind of alluded that he is like you know kind of I think ready to start I would expect him to start in in this next game um you know probably wouldn't go 90 minutes but I do think that he's going to be the guy that Gonzalo Pineda is going to want to lean on in that left side and it will be I can't wait to see what this team looks like when you have Derek Etienne and Yako playing from the start and speaking of that I think Yako will probably start next week too I think I, I heard that you know, I was listening in on the Dirty South Soccer Twitter spaces and to be fair nobody had kind of heard the insight that we had from being in the locker room last night but Yako seemed very confident in his fitness and basically you know was shy about saying that he'd be able to play 90 minutes but I think that he definitely wants to start and I think that Gonzalo Pineda will definitely want to see more of him based on the way that he looked last night after just one training session the movement and the athleticism is pretty awesome to watch, especially in moments where he's pressing with high intensity and kind of like there there were moments at times where he was pointing and kind of directing traffic as far as yeah. the press goes. And when the triggers were activated and I was like, oh, hell yeah, he's he's like unlocking I, the matrix here as far as this guy had this moment. I had this moment where I was like, wow, Atlanta United has a strike. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it feels like, you know, this team has been missing a lot of that dynamism from that position mm. for a long time. And honestly, it was most evident to me with the way that he was kind of pressing and closing players down, you know, when the team was was losing the ball. Um, it felt nice. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we saw this team able to like really press up high and really apply the pressure to Toronto because it's so important. You know, it starts up top at that position and it's just really hard to do when you don't have a, a striker there who, you know, is super mobile and, and you don't have a kind of a cohesive team around him. So, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to see what, what more is to come. Yeah. No, the counter pressure was awesome last night. All of it was, uh, I think that was an issue at times, especially in the beginning against San Jose, where, again, that act of defending, that marking while attacking, was a little rough and putting Franco Barr and Andrew Gutman in particular in bad positions. But last night, they, they had it locked down. They had it locked down. And, and the only thing Toronto could think to do, and Bradley admitted this after the game, was the only thing they were really attempting to do 
at a certain point was find Bernardeschi as an outlet. Clearly, it paid off. <laughs> Great call, yeah, Bob. Yeah. Apparently, he's good at this. Who knew? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for the most part, Atlanta kept Toronto kind of just like locked in a hell box with the counter press for, for yeah. the majority of the time. It was so funny just seeing the his face, Bob Bradley's after he's like, we couldn't play football. Like he he was literally trying to engineer a way for his team to try to grind out a point in that game without them being able to mm-hmm. competitively play with Atlanta United, you know, uh, which is, again, a huge testament to the way that the team played overall. And. You know, it also brings me back to something Gonzalo Pineda said in the press conference where I kind of cringed when he said it. Not because I disagree with him necessarily, but just the way that he phrased it. I'm like worried about how it's going to be taken by a lot of fans when he talked about how the team played was almost perfection. Uh, which, again, I, I would kind of tend to agree in a lot of phases. But obviously, you know, and he alluded to it when I asked him a, a follow up question on the on the pressing front, which was the almost comes in with. That one goal yep. that they conceded where they kind of let off and allowed Michael Bradley to play a relatively easy pass up to up to Bernadeschi. And obviously great play by him to get up the wing. But, you know, that chance was essentially that opportunity for him was created by the fact that it was maybe the one moment in the game where Atlanta United just kind of, you know, lost focus or just let their foot off the gas there in that counter pressing. Yeah, it- it's tough because uh, that play in particular, if we want to kind of get into it, I think Atlanta was doing so much right up until that point, and uh, people are kind of getting on Gutman for not closing down, and he should have, and he should have, but Richie Larea is a terror over there, man. He, he yeah, was yeah, yeah. just absolutely booking it, and Gutman kind of got forced into, into multiple decisions at the same time, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. even still... I think we have a question about this later. You know, you watch Gazan on that, and he doesn't maybe really, really yeah. cover his near post like he necessarily should yeah. have. You know? Yeah, the angles were definitely yeah, off I there mean, from Gazan. And his, to his credit, like Federico hit the hell out of it, you know. But mm-hmm. it's one of those moments where you go, you know, I, I wonder if, I wonder if. It's worth watching. I'm really glad you brought that up on Kazan. I'm just thinking about this. I, I was watching the uh, the brick by brick like docu series thing that they're doing about his return coming back from this injury. And on the last episode, they had some footage from the preseason training camp. And in just kind of some of the B roll footage that they're using, and you can hear the audio of him kind of talking with the goalkeeping coach, who I apologize, I don't remember his name um but he, guzan's talking about he's like he's like yeah you know i'm just like i'm learning i have to like relearn my angles and just like understand like where i am spatially and you could, i think that that goal in particular was a perfect example of a player who's just been out of the game for a while and has kind of lost a little bit of that sixth sense as a goalkeeper of just where you need to be to cover certain angles when players are attacking from certain positions so you know hopefully that's something that he can learn from and can cover better next time. It was a great play by by Toronto. I mean, just one of those things. So, Patrick, even with that goal, even with that Bernardeski goal, it it should have been a two one win for for Atlanta. Yeah, it should have been a two one win. I look, we don't have the best angle on the goal that Yakimaki's eventually scored. Uh, it starts with Juan Parada getting onto the ball and and heading it down off the post. It bounces back to Yakimaki's. Uh, Parada is called offside. It is really, 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 really close. But from the one angle we really have, it looks like he is onside. Uh, did we ask the refs about this? Yes. Yes, we did. There is a mechanic <laughs> to uh, essentially like pass notes with MLS referees. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it before on the show because I find it totally ridiculous. And uh, it was the most ridiculous last night they literally like t- they write the note on like a they like take like a piece of paper that has something printed and like rip it in half and like write on the other side of the, the piece of paper <laughs> that's not a joke that's straight up not a joke and, and so the questions were like what did you see on the offside call he was off and they're like scribble it down and and that's yeah. literally all we got all we got i hope dick Robertson. i know he, he has that picture or has the piece of paper still he takes a picture of it and post it so it's something. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know why the process even exists. 
It's the most that, fake accountability. That, that piece of paper seen. should be framed and go in the MLS Hall of Fame right there. <laughs> one day, <laughs> the Pro Hall of Fame, maybe one day, just for posterity. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I think it's one of those ones where if it's called onside on the, in the run of plays, they probably don't change it yeah. either. Like it was just close enough, I guess. But t- I mean, yeah, to me, it looked it looked on. Like if I'm gonna say if if you're showing me that picture and you're saying is he on or is he off and you have to choose one, I would say he's on. Yeah, but. I guess I can see why it's close enough where they didn't want to overturn the call. I was about to write a games gone tweet if that goal were to be given and that was going to be the way that Yakamaka scores his first goal. Uh huh. It would have taken some of the dramatic <laughs> fishing out of it, yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, but look, I mean, the broader point is that, you know, we don't love to complain about the refs on the show. That's not really the point. The point is yeah. that, you know, if that little minuscule thing changes and Atlanta United wins, I think folks are probably a lot happier. After last night, mm-hmm. I think the, the underlying mm-hmm. numbers are even better, of course, and everything like that. But that was a game that was so well controlled by Atlanta that in like 90% of cases, that is a win. And I think folks should be very happy with that and very happy that it came with at least two starters, maybe out, maybe three, maybe four. Uh, we don't really know if Luis Abram is the guy. It kind of feels like he will be the guy eventually, but Juan Prada, I thought, again, was very solid. Yeah. And can we talk about Miles? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, okay, my skepticism is gone. Oh, no, totally. Now. Just completely I've, washed away. <laughs> I, was, I was, like, having this line of, like, maintaining my healthy skepticism of how he's going to come back from this. <laughs> like, he looks amazing. Like, miraculous. I mean, there were people in the press box last night. I forget who it was who turned to me and was like, so, like, if I, like, tear my Achilles, can I get a new one and run, like, a 4-4? Right. You know? Well, honestly, it makes me think, like, when we were talking to Brad in the locker room last week after the San Jose game, he was like, I got a new, he's like, someone asked him how he feels. He's like, I got a new, he's like, I got my hamstring in my Achilles or something like that. And maybe it's like, are they, like, doing things, like, surgically that are actually, like, improving the the human form (laughs) by... Like placing Maybe. better muscles we're, we're in these areas. Too powerful, I think. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> man, there was a moment where Miles went shoulder to shoulder with Diamande, who is not a small human, and flattened them, just straight up flattened <laughs> yeah. them. And we don't. Oh man! So between him chasing down, you know, nineteen-year-old, you know, sprinter Kate Cow last week, you know, multiple times, and him shouldering Diamande to the ground, I, I think. I think he's going to be just okay physically, and he's also reading the game really, really well, and he's kind of adapted quicker to the pace of play than I think I, I really expected him to. All right. Do you remember the South African sprinter who, before the murdering, oh he was... Uh, what are we doing? <laughs> yes, yeah, Oscar Pistorius. Let's, let's, yeah, let's yeah, sprint yeah. through and this. It was like... He, yeah, and like that's like Miles' Achilles right now is that oh, freaking like spring, uh, the, yeah, yeah, the spring blade. Like that's how I picture Miles' Achilles is working inside of his body. It's like we propelling going. him, and he's <laughs> yes, he looks great. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, to be honest, it's it's interesting because you know with the game plan and the pressure that Atlanta United was applying in this game, it was you know clear that Gonzalo Pineda was like, okay, we're gonna have Miles defend on an island here in this game knowing probably I guess full well that he was going to be able to do what he did and credit to him I mean it's I mean that was one of the you know most promising things you could have seen from that game is Miles Robinson able to defend in space just like he has prior and boy he's going to get a nice contract with a nice team <laughs> a great team <laughs> if somewhere. he keeps on performing yeah. like this yeah yeah. Uh, yeah he still has not uh, re-upped his contract by the way he's uh, done uh, with his late United contract this year his last year uh, probably probably it first time in atlanta if i had to guess so enjoy it enjoy it while enjoy him and uh but he makes everyone else better i mean juan who looks really comfortable um i'm sure Brown yeah. would look comfortable he came in as well the entire back line kind of generally has been setting their line very very well it's very interesting to watch them stay organized they're doing a very very nice job of that throughout uh the first two games it seems like and they've been really solid defensively except for maybe a couple moments and, that, and that's kind of it they've gotten punished both times for him and that's pretty rare pretty rare uh look the other starter we kind of have to talk about and i'm gonna break my entire brain going through this this week and i'm gonna ask multiple people about it and all that kind of thing but since i guess suspension is officially over now he can return Mm -hmm. to the starting lineup he seems healthy enough to return to the starting lineup 
Uh, Fenga, Zabara, and Hasetu have been at least good enough. At least good right. enough. And there are certain things that you kind of have to worry about when you put Sosa and any other midfielder next to Sosa because of some of the physical limitations. You know, mm-hmm. it's an interesting yeah. dilemma that Gonzalo Pineda is about to face. It's like chemistry, and you don't want to screw something up and have something boil over the beakers by, like, you know, adding some ingredient that shouldn't be in there or something. And it's like, you know, why mess with something that doesn't seem broken yeah. as of right now? I mean, Mateus Rosetto and Franco Barra are playing well, and I there's a you know huge tip of the hat for me because I was certainly skeptical about how well they would be able to control games, especially in this kind of for, in this formation that they're playing now, where it's really the two of them who have a lot of just the defensive work to do, and yeah, both have been really good. Not perfect, you know, like Franco Barra will miss some passes here and there and things like that, but generally speaking, with the things that they're tasked to do in a game, they're achieving. So I would keep this pairing going, honestly, with Santiago Sosa coming into the picture, and. There will be a time when there's an injury or something, and Santiago can can come in, um, or clearly as a sub, he would have a, he would have a role to come in and, and play late in games. But I think Atlanta's midfield is looking a lot better right now than it was before the season started, or the way that we were picturing it. If you get this kind of production out of Franco Ibarra and Mateus Rosetto, then you have a Marseidich and Santiago Sosa right behind them. That seems like a pretty deep midfield, especially if you're running a four-two-three-one. So. It's looking pretty good for Atlanta United right now in that department, which again we thought had tagged as you know one of the one of the weaknesses or potential weaknesses for this team heading into the season. So big ups to them. Sam had to just go chase his dog down. Do you have anything? Do you have Do you have anything else to say on the midfield? So many things. So many things before I had to chase my dog. Yeah. Uh, look, um, you, you kind of hit on it, right? They've been good. They've been great. They haven't been like world beaters or anything like that, but they don't have to be. Not mm-hmm. necessarily right. Uh, I think I've described them as like the weak link in the chain, you know, and even though I can't say the words weak link without like completely tripping <laughs> over myself, I I think they have been good enough to hold the chain together, if that makes sense. And exactly. my worry was they were mm-hmm. going to break the entire thing. They've been good enough to mm-hmm. hold it together. And when you mm-hmm. are a extreme high possession team like Atlanta, you really kind of have to be sharp for for only a few moments at times, you know. Uh, even if you are uh, mobily limited, I think we saw that with Victor Wanyama in particular, who's a little older, uh, maybe not covering as much ground as he used to uh, with with Montreal last year, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that I'm coming around to the idea that Franco Barra can be a, a starting caliber MLS midfielder. To the point where, you know, he's probably going to be the 10th, 11th best dude on the field, but still be good enough to to keep you in games, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hosetu, he scored last night. He did. I saw it. <laughs> I was there. I mean, he, he did like the old, do you, do you remember the, the goofy commercial with like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan where they're playing horse and they're like bouncing it off like the yeah, scoreboard? Yeah. It was basically that. Yeah. He found the net though. And... Full credit to that. He didn't make any <laughs> terrible mistakes. I don't remember being mad at Hosetsu at any point. At the same time, you know, we're talking about someone who I, I don't know whose job he's doing at this point. Again, I thought he was better. I thought he was better in the second game. Uh, but across both games, uh, Franco Barra is not only making the tackles, right? recovering the ball more often. He's also making more progressive passes. He's also (laughs) being slightly more Mm -hmm. press resistant. He's also receiving passes in a more advanced position more often. Is that right? Wow. Uh, Statistically, yes. So keep that in mind. Stats lie, but statistically, yes. Um, And so, you know, you look at what Ibarra is doing. You look at Tiago Amada having to drop back to help with the press resistance. And to, you know, help with build up and help progress the ball from back to front. And you kind of just wonder, like, whose job Hosetsu is doing at this Mm -hmm. point, you know? He's kind of like a, he's kind of like a a passing post. And I I say that in a, in a way that, like, that can be very beneficial for a team, especially Mm -hmm. a team that's, you know, pressed up high and you need, you know, an outlet and somebody who's going to be able to, you know, receive a ball and then be able to play it on, even if it's not a progressive play on, just like to be able to, 
keep things ticking over. Um, and Franco Barra is just a more action oriented mm-hmm. <laughs> midfielder, whether that's making a tackle, whether that's making a progressive pass um, and getting in a forward position to be able to, to do those things. Seems like he's the one who's kind of trying to proactively impact the game as where Mateus Rosetto. Again, I'm not saying this, try to like crap on Rosetto or anything, but he's just, a, they're just different styles of, of midfielder. And when you think about Santiago Sosa specifically, can Santiago Sosa come in and do Rosetto's job or would he do a different job, but do it? Would it help the team? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if I honestly have the answer for and that. This is where I'm going to break because again, we're operating. I, I want everyone to be operating the baseline that I thought Rosetto was at least good. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm trying to like shit talk him or anything like that, you know, but where mm-hmm. things kind of come apart for me in this thought process that really stressed me out is thinking about the times we have seen Abara and Sosa together in a pairing and realizing how bad those were. Right. The exactly. last two yeah. times we've seen that particular pairing. Uh, the first time I think we maybe ever saw it last year was in Philadelphia. I was at this game in Chester Atlanta United was not in the same universe as this Philadelphia team that night. Uh, a large part of that was because Franco Barra just didn't cover any ground. He played about 70 minutes. I've mentioned this many a time. He did not cover more than 5K uh, worth of ground, according to the stat tracking. <laughs> wow. um, and he really needed to. There was a huge gap uh, based on the setup that Atlanta United had that night between uh, where Brooks Lennon was and where the back three was at that point. So there's this huge space on the right side that the diamond for Philadelphia just exploited over and over again, led to multiple bad things. The next game, pretty soon after that, I want to say it was like a few days after that, Abara Sosa in Portland together. Abara subbed out after 45 minutes and Joseph Martinez flips the table. Uh, not an <laughs> ideal game there either. It did not go well. It did not go well. So the question is, are Sosa and Ibarra so limited by their physical skill set that it's just totally untenable mm. to play them together? Right. That's my biggest right. worry. Yeah. Yeah. That could be the case. Could be the case. And Rosetto does have a little bit of Brooks Lennon in him where it's like, at least he's going to run yes. around mm-hmm. and, you know, be consistent and generally be fit and healthy for you. <laughs> so, I mean, that is something. And, and, I, and I mean, I, where I do had you someone th- kind of point out, like, well, what's, what's kind of the benefit of that? He's not doing any actions. Well, it, it still matters to some extent. I totally get the point. I think it's a great point, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you can't have empty space. Empty space is scarier than, you know ineffectively taking up the space you know um it's just it it leaves too many holes and and that's my biggest worry you know i guess i guess where i'm thinking right now and this is to go back to what i was talking about when you were chasing your dog around which is it is that and to add on to what you said about the weak link like currently this midfield is keeping things together and you have Two other midfielders in Santiago Sosa and Amar Sadic, who we've seen good things from, and we know we we generally think can do similar jobs to to what the midfield is doing now. So at the very least, it feels like this team has some sort of competency and some sort of depth in this position at midfield, where you've got, I think, four players who you would generally feel like you can rely on. And right now, I would stick with these two, but obviously something's going to happen. There's going to be an injury. There, I don't know what, whatever you know, something will happen. And that time, you can maybe then reassess. But I, again, I, I would just kind of keep things rolling how they are now. I do want to point out a, a pretty key difference. Uh, Franco Barra kind of openly admitted to playing as an eight last year. Uh, he's playing more as a six this year. This is how he was related to me, you know. Um, double pivot, you know, you, you generally have the eight. Uh, one player be an eight, be more advanced, all that kind of thing. That was Franco Ibarra's role last year when he was mm-hmm. paired with Sosa. I think you flip that this time. I think you would continue to keep Ibarra as a six. Yes. You would play Agreed. Sosa more advanced. And at that point, you kind of see, I think, how because I think it's worth trying. I really do. Yeah. Uh, Sosa's ability to play ball progressing passes is extremely influential in a game and it can be really really impactful and get him a little closer to goal and have him spraying passes around i think it fits a system where you know you're trying to break down teams really well 
He can even shoot from range too. When if he's like, you let's know, not give, the let's box. Not, let's not, let's not give anyone ideas now, Jeff. <laughs> um, but you know, you pair him and a bar together, and you know, it's it's maybe not quite as well. It's not. It's not as press resistant. It's maybe not as metronomy, all things considered. Mm-hmm. But right, you might right. be able to blunt force your way to more goals if that makes sense, because that's kind of what you have to do yeah. in a system where you yeah. are playing against low blocks so often. You know, yeah. So I think it's worth trying, yeah. As long as you aren't getting burned and on the counter every single time. One other question mark I have too about all this kind of midfield alchemy is, you know, Franco Barra, you know, <clears throat> in FIFA or in some vacuum with his skill set, he would be a candidate for a guy who you could bring off the bench to help, you know, lock down midfield if you're if you have a lead late in the game. Last year, we saw there was at least one time, but I want to say it's probably it's it was probably more like a couple times during the season where he was brought on in those situations. And there was one time in particular where he was the culprit of an individual error that led to a goal for the other team. And I think there is a bit of a skill set involved in being able to come on as a sub and getting thrown right into the middle of the field, right into that mixer where everything's going crazy and being able to to bring some order to that. Um, I think Ozzy Alonso would definitely be a player who has that skill set just based on his you know experience level and everything like that. Um, can Franco Barra be that guy? I tend to think that you would rather have Franco Barra playing from the starts of games. Now, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe what we saw there was an anomaly, but um, I, I, I just, yeah, it, it's something to watch out for and, and something to consider as we progress through, uh, progress on through this season in terms of how Gonzalo Pineda manages this thing. Yeah. No, I mean, first question to Gonzalo on Thursday is going to be, what are you doing? Yeah. He's, and he's not going to tell yeah. us, but we're going to, we're yeah. going to find <laughs> ways to ask about it, you know, and kind of get his <laughs> sense of what he wants to do uh, with the team going forward. It's going to be extremely interesting to see how he approaches it and pretty critical to the season. Cause I think uh, maybe the biggest thing, right. Is yeah, you, you got the job done against pretty good midfields admittedly in San Jose and Toronto, you know, but mm-hmm. when they get to the really, really good teams where it's not just about the midfield matchup, it's about kind of having the midfield control, uh, the entirety of the game. Um, are they going to be able to keep up? And I, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Any other thoughts from this one, Joe, Patrick, I think we covered a lot there. Oh, hey, you know what? Yeah. Let's actually let's talk about the uh, the, the designated player. Should we? The, the new guy, uh, Yurgos Yakimakis. Anything else we want to add from him? I know we kind of covered just like a little bit of his athleticism and anything like that, but any other impressions from Yurgos in his first appearance? I was impressed, honestly, with just like the way he spoke to media after the game. Mm-hmm. Um this is again not an on the field thing, but again, he just kind of exudes that that confidence. But also, you know, he was like, "I'm not happy with the game because I didn't score." You know, like that kind of thing is is what you want to hear from a star striker. Um, he was asked about like you know his thoughts on Toronto and just like the league in general, and he was like, "I'm focused on this team and the way the team plays." I just thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it was good to hear. Him talk. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else you had? I mean, I think that's a great point. First off, is that just I think that the kind of thing is going to resonate with folks. He has that same intensity of, of, as Joseph, right? Yeah. But whereas I always kind of wondered if Joseph was about to maybe yell at me when he was kind of mad, I feel like your ghost would like <laughs> quietly tell me something like I was insecure about with myself uh. and like just ruin me. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like a different level and <laughs> yeah, style right. of confidence, and it's really kind of unique to see. He was also. Uh, pretty forthcoming about uh, his faith and his religion, which was kind of yeah. neat. Uh, it's it's always kind of interesting yeah. to hear that. He has a picture of St. George, who I've learned a lot about today, uh, who uh, <laughs> basically like killed a dragon for some folks in, in the lore of this. And uh, it's pretty cool. He had a really metal looking picture of St. George, like stabbing a dragon with a lance uh, in his locker. And we asked him about it and he was, he was able to talk about that. Um, Greek Orthodox Christian uh, said he feels that St. George protects him, which is cool. Uh, yeah. Cool vibes. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, we need to see of that immediately. If anyone is listening who can make. Oh, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, stabbing the fuck yeah. out of a dragon. Let's, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want it so sick. bad. I want sick. it so bad. Um, <laughs> all right, Joe. Anything else from the game? All right. Uh, no, I'm ready to answer some questions. How about you? Cool. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. 
And let's let people know that this episode of Five Strike Finals presented by our partners, Lucid FC. That's Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can find them at lucidfc.us on the old interwebs. They've got a shop in Buckhead. It's open by appointment from uh, open by appointment and walk-ins from one to eight p.m. daily. It's located at thirty two oh nine Paces Ferry Place. You can use DSS as your season long promo code for free shipping on their website. Again, that's LucidFC.us. They've got cool stuff. It's like urban streetwear, kind of soccer inspired, but they're uh, it's run by you know two guys from uh, twins actually here in Atlanta. So. Homegrown thing. I think we've seen Miles Robinson. We've definitely seen Miles Robinson in the gear. I think we've seen Caleb Wiley, I want to say, in some of the Lucid gear. They've had like Rihanna in some of the gear too. They've got some uh, pretty cool partnerships. So definitely check them out again on their website, lucidfc.us, and use DSS as your season long promo code for free shipping in the United States. They've got new stuff coming out usually every Thursday on their shop. So uh, definitely check it out. Let us know what you think and give them them your business if you so desire. Wow. What an ad read. What an ad read. Uh, let's get the questions. We'll start this one from Wes, the Woodstock Lurker from the Discord. It says, how slow can Nabara and Sosa double pivot B? Side question. Is it legal to put rocket skates on midfielders? How slow could it be? It's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question. We, we touched on a lot, of course. And we're they need to just to get the Miles it. Robinson Achilles hand, uh, <laughs> <laughs> surgery and they'd be a lot faster, I think. Mm, I, I agree. And you know what? I think this is one of those things on. where... Miles Robinson and his new Achilles can really benefit. <laughs> I had so many thoughts about blades and, and we'll talk about it later. Um, where his new Achilles could, could really benefit uh, that particular pairing where he's able to kind of press up and cover ground and cut off passes to get him behind and everything like that. Uh, Brahm is also apparently uh, gifted at this and gifted at reading the game as well and that could be beneficial mm-hmm. uh Wanho's not terrible at this I, I don't think it's necessarily his strength when he steps up uh but that could be enough that could be enough cover for how potentially slow this a bar and sosa double pivot could be um both look relatively uh, sosa sosa looks healthy for the most part uh, and Ibarra has been doing enough to cover ground you know it, it may not be the end of the world Sosa's been training, is that correct? Yes. And he's not dealing with that wrist or finger issue that he had anymore. He may still have the cast, I'm not on... sure. Okay, okay. That's not going to affect him no. at all in terms of, yeah. We'll see. I, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I we, we have to see it on the field. I wouldn't be, again, to repeat what we were saying, I wouldn't be jumping to change this midfield right now. Okay. And if you have to down the line, then obviously you can I think the ceiling is much higher with Sosa in, and that's where I'm at right now. Uh, Smurphy says, same vein, how sustainable is having Almada cover the Mateus Franco double pivot? Will it run Tiago Almada in the ground? So, like, here's the trade-off, right? Like, Tiago has to drop back in that particular midfield uh, that Elena has been trotting out with Franco and Hasetu. Uh, where mm-hmm. Sosa excels will be those progressive passes and being that connector right. in a way that Almada... Wouldn't have to be. He wouldn't have to drop back as True. much. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of your trade-off, right? Like, who, who do you want yep. doing more yep. work? Your, your back line or your your ten, and who kind of comes out of the play? It's yeah. It's, it's the progression, though. It's it. Yeah. It's when we talk about like having Almada cover. It's more like <clears throat> Almada's got to come deep to then receive the ball and help the team transition from the the deeper block to obviously the attacking phase of play. So yeah, it's a good point. Um. You know, it will be interesting to see if Pineda, if he does immediately make a change in midfield, like what that in of itself would signify as the way that he sees his best options here. Like if he does replace one of them with Sosa, it's like, OK, well, then he probably clearly does see him as, you know, a better player, or a better fit in the system. Can we both agree that like Sosa has that too would make us mad. Like yeah, in the sense yeah, that I'd be like, that that's be, just that, not right. I can already feel myself getting frustrated yeah. with that duo. Okay, <laughs> so don't do that. We've at least we've knocked out one option. I still think a Marseille can do this job as well. <laughs> now that we said that, I feel like that's definitely going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like Marseille can do this job just as well as that too. I do so. too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I I see them as being kind of interchangeable in a lot of ways. All right. Next question from Logan the Shogun who says. What kind of ideas are you seeing from the team when they get the ball in the primary assist zones? Joe, what are the primary assist zones, first off? 
Yeah, the primary assist zones are those kind of, uh, it's like, it'd be like the short corner in basketball. It's like not the corner out at the three point line, but it's kind of like in between the three point line and the block, you know, kind of in that short corner area. That's what we talk about when we talk about the primary assist zone. Uh, it's a good question from Logan because I do feel like it is an area of this team's attacking play that they need to clean up a little bit just in terms of, you know, really getting on the same page in terms of, you know, where the runs are going to be mm-hmm. made. I would like to see more runs coming, like, kind of getting checked back and coming towards like the the penalty spot. Um, I feel like that's a, that's an area that the team can exploit that they haven't done so much of these first couple games. Yeah. But I think that it's promising that they're starting to get the ball in there, and I think that that's the first step is getting the service to start coming from those areas. And then once that starts to happen, then you can kind of figure out the second part, which is actually connecting those passes to the the players making the runs inside. Yeah, those are some of the attacking patterns that they're still trying to sort out should get better with Yurgos and Etienne who are going to make mm-hmm. more varied runs, who are going to make a lot more double mm-hmm. moves and kind of create space for themselves. Right now, it kind of feels like teams are defending a bunch of dudes running in a straight line at times, especially in the primary assist zones. You know, you, you kind of want to see more mm-hmm. diagonal runs. You want to see those double moves. You want to see players coming horizontally at times to, to kind of disrupt things as well. And you want to kind of have it be layered as you come in, right? You want to have someone near yeah. post, someone kind of exactly. running into the middle area, the 18-yard box, and you want to have those numbers there. I, I think that yeah. will come, but yeah, it's got to be better. It's got to be cleaner. Well, one thing I was encouraged with, with with Yorgos was it just seemed like he tended to be in a position that the ball was going to come to. Like it seemed like, you know, even on the, on the goal that was called back, you know, he, he was just in position for, um, you know, that ball that was it Wanho that played mm-hmm. it off his head. Somebody, yeah, somebody played it in off their head and um, he was just there, you know, for those kinds of poacher style goals, which is what this team needs. Yeah, And that's like kind of innate, isn't it? Like sometimes you either mm-hmm. have that or you don't to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. It also comes with being 28 mm-hmm. and having a lot of experience. In, in soccer, yeah. you know, so uh, it's I, I I just feel good. I just feel good about all of that. I feel good about all of that. I feel good about <laughs> your ghost who's a one touch hero. I the primary system passes that come back on the cut back to him. Uh, he does a great job of not hesitating with those. You can see it multiple times yeah. in the goal he scored that he is going to take that shot first time and pretty good chance it probably goes in. Yep. Cursive Kid says, how many more games until it's okay to worry about Eruju's form? Uh, Luis was... I think it's okay to worry about his form right now. Yeah, it was not great. It wasn't great. Uh, Which is making all my preseason predictions for him. Not predictions, but preseason hopes (laughs) once again feel Uh uh, pretty pretty not great. Yeah. Again, it'll be probably a better assessment uh, of him when to to really judge him when Yako is in in this team but you know i i tend to agree with kind of the i'm 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 sensing some pessimism or skepticism in curse of kids question here and i think it's i think it's right like i think it's he can be better should be better you know definitely should be better considering all the context around him you know and just like the dp status the transfer fee although you don't want to like ever necessarily judge a player for that but you expect production in return and it hasn't really been there to the extent that it almost feels like you wonder what this team would look like if it was like Etienne and Wiley uh, on the field together the next question from Cursive Kid says would Etienne and Wiley at wing work Wiley is playing well enough I don't think he has to be benched Um, the only question there is you, you flip sides there I don't know if Etienne or Wiley ever played on the right uh, in theory, yeah, it wouldn't be that hard, but it also would probably be really, really hard. You'd probably play Etienne on the right side in that case, uh, which would put him in an yeah, like you say, an unnatural position. It was interesting to note, yeah, you know, Louise did kind of go over and play on the left side a little bit in that second half, especially when the team was having to just get crosses in, um, obviously to put him on his natural side. Which again, to me, that's kind of. You know, from Pineda, when that has happened in the past, it's because he's trying to find a position for Louise to affect the game. Mm-hmm. And um, it's worrying that that has to happen, basically, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that he's like not being able to affect the game at times when he's on that right side. Joe, I had a former player talk to me the other day, and I'm not going to name names, because they said that Louise has maybe 
the worst off ball movement of any starting caliber MLS player they've ever seen. Mm. You know, wow. it, it's it's rough, man. It's rough. Again, I think there's just like a there's a wall between understanding why good things happen in soccer and how he can be a part of that and how he can make those things happen. <laughs> there's just a there's just a gap as far as like getting into good spaces and knowing how to kind of manipulate space and to find the areas that make sense for him to run in and, and find the areas to drag defenders and you know if it's not him on the ball and running it's like he doesn't know how to impact the game otherwise and that's mm-hmm. where things are becoming pretty concerning so there's almost like a, it almost feels like a countdown clock right now <laughs> to be totally honest <laughs> i mean we're talking mm-hmm. about what maybe like 18 20 games maybe league's cup is like the final marker where we say okay let's do your performance review here and assess whether or not you need to be at Atlanta united yeah i mean i think that they will try to move him this summer it's only two games. When the summer went, <laughs> uh oh, yeah, but it's not two Unless games. Unless he's right? like, oh yeah, again data. to your, to your, yeah. I mean, to your point, like if, if he turns turns it around, if he turns a corner and he's like lighting things up, then of course you you want a player like that in your squad. But assuming that doesn't happen, I don't see why they wouldn't try to to move on from him and get somebody who can do those things. And again, we've seen Gar- or heard Garth Lagerway talk about the you know the financial resources at his disposal and. You know, taking a taking a haircut on a player's, you know, that is kind of flexing your financial resources to an extent. It's not the kind of, you know, it's not the way that you envision it as a fan. You envision it as being able to go out and spend a bunch of money on somebody who's going to positively impact the team. But sometimes it's about cutting your losses in certain spots. And they're going to allow Garth to do that. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're going to give him kind of the keys to the car here. They're going to give him kind of full reign to just go and do that just because of his track record because of that proof of concept right so if if that's the call they want to make they're probably going to let him do it probably going to let him do it and it'll be interesting to see what direction they go to kind of fill uh, that gap if we get to that point if we get to that point he could still turn it around like you said we still have the full starting group in and and like kind of the whole thing with Louise coming into the season was okay Etienne and and Yakimakis will will help this a lot we haven't seen that yet we haven't seen that for Mm -hmm. a full 90 yet so give it a little bit of time but yeah maybe maybe be a little bit worried maybe just like a tiny bit worried just a tiny bit <laughs> i'm your ghost says oh, speaking of worried i am your ghost says how worried should we be at goose looking like a statue on that goal from way outside the box i'm not like worried about it it was a bad play by him and again we talked about it earlier i think that's just kind of part of the rust that's associated with him missing so much time at that position you're just penalized so much at the goalkeeper position for making some of these mistakes that are in the grand scheme of things, not huge mistakes, but obviously can lead to goals, which are obviously super important. So not a good play, but I'm not overly worried about that kind of thing happening long term, other than the fact that maybe that that's just not Guzan's strong suit in his game, just generally speaking, is you know, kind of reaching those far corners and defending in those kinds of spots. He's more of a command the box type of guy. Yeah, I mean, shot stopping has never been, never been a major strength for him. Uh, like even before the 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 tear, you know. I mean, even right mm-hmm. now, like we're starting the year and he's pretty low on the list of of goalkeepers when it comes to shot stopping compared to XG. And I, I don't expect yeah, no that doubt. to necessarily change because it didn't really I change don't in any point. Uh, during his MLS tenure, for the most part, except for a couple years, that uh, one year, that one year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and his first year in the league as well was decent. So, was that it? Okay. Um, so, it's never I mean, been great. Goalkeepers, a goalkeepers, a position that this team is going to have to address long term. Like, obviously, Gazan's uh, you know quite old, and I think does he have one more year on his contract after this year, we or is this his that, last year? Anyway. Either way, either way, you know, this team is going to have to address the, the position. Um, but I think right now you can see that the team has just generally more confidence and he clearly adds to the team over, you know, the kinds of goalkeepers that they were running through last year. But based on the on the money that he makes, you can't like go out there and really invest too much more of your, you know, salary allotment to another goalkeeper that otherwise you're investing a dram- you're really overrepresenting your or um 
you're putting a huge portion of your overall salary budget into this <laughs> one position, if especially if it's on two players. I think this team eventually will be willing to, to spend a pretty big amount. I mean, Garth said straight up, you know, that his analytic view is that the guys closest to the goal on both ends of the field mm-hmm. are, are the most impactful, right? So he, I could see this team maybe spending maybe more than me and you are comfortable with on, on a goalkeeper at some point just to make sure that that position is completely solidified, especially from a shot-stopping perspective. I could totally see it at some point. Our, our point with not spending on goalkeepers has always been that you can find a Brad Stuver for like 140 k a year, and he can be one of the best goalkeepers in the league. You don't necessarily have to pay, uh, but if you feel like you need to, I can see the team doing it eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Chris H says, felt like interplay between Brooks and Louise was a lot better than last week. Did you see any improvement in the effectiveness moving the ball down the right side? I kind of, maybe I need to rewatch this a little closer, but I kind of felt about the same. Yeah, I would say mostly the same. I, there were a couple moments early on in the game where I was like, "Oh, that's like a, something a little bit different." Like a something that was a nice little interplay between them, which maybe maybe what Chris is referring to here with this question. Uh, but I, to me, it wasn't something that was like noticeable throughout the game that was clearly making a positive impact for the team. I thought just I thought in general Brooks is again you alluded to it early at the top of the show but just like his movement specifically and not just making the overlapping run every single time but really varying up what he's doing uh, can be a huge game changer for this team a lot more so than necessarily like what he's doing with Louise per se if that makes sense yeah for sure for sure I, not to dismiss Chris H's question I need to go back and watch and pay a little closer attention to that. But yeah, I have not up, rewatched the game at this point either. So yeah. um, I will be doing that tomorrow morning. Uh, I will let you know, Chris H, if we've wronged you uh, by, <laughs> by dismissing your question at this show. Uh, first time caller says, was our midfield not bad, quote unquote, against Toronto? Did my eyes deceive me? If so, was it because of Toronto or are they improving? I think they have improved. I think from like the 30th minute on from San Jose, they've been pretty solid. You know, they really kind of yeah. grew into things. But I think the, the team as a whole has gotten better. There have been more periods of sustained possession that have limited the task that the midfielders have to do. It hasn't necessarily been a whole lot of progressing the ball. It hasn't necessarily been a whole lot of really anything but but cutting off uh, potential counterattacking moments and making positive things happen while in possession. You know, and I yeah. think they can accomplish those things when they have that kind of limited checklist i think yeah i think that i think this the midfield the, the players just individually frank abara and rosetto have improved and i think they're playing with just a little bit more confidence because the team is a lot more settled and structured all around them you know with miles robinson back in the fold obviously just talked about brad i think that these are important aspects to the performances that these kinds of players are able to contribute during a game so i think that that also goes into it but they, you know i think that they've probably improved as individual players as well, especially Ibarra. I mean, that, to me, that's the big one. Yeah, no, totally. Ibarra has blown away all my expectations so far, except for the first 30 minutes of the San Jose game where I thought it was really bad. Mm-hmm. So keep that in <laughs> mind. Keep that in mind. Adam says, outside of the goal, how did the rest of Hisetsu's contributions look? I can't really... He took three shots. Isn't that wild? What a world we're living in where he, where forced he took three a, he shots. For, I mean, he... Yeah, he forced a nice save from from Sean Johnson in the first half. Um, again, kind of a shot from outside the box, but it was, it was a decent shot. Um, <laughs> there are times where he, I feel like he has he totally panics, like when he's kind of in the box, just doesn't. <laughs> it's like in his in his unnatural environment. Um, he, do, I mean, he does some good things. Like again, we kind of criticize him a lot on the show generally, uh, but yeah, I mean. Because he definitely has some shortcomings, but again, to kind of repeat a lot of what we've said on the show so far, like I think he's doing a suitable job so far in these first couple games. We'll take it. We'll take it. I am Yurgo says, what impact <laughs> we'll on the flow of games will Sosa have while well, his introduction into the lineup free Osetu to play more progressively? That's assuming that Osetu uh, is going to be in the lineup. <laughs> I, will he ever well, play more yeah. progressively? I I kind right, of exactly. exactly. I, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't can't rely on anybody making Rosetto play more Look, progressively. I, I think the conclusion I'm going to come to is Franco Ibarra is a six and Sosa is the eight. And I kind of hate it 
because Doug mentioned this to me, I think, like at the beginning of January. And I went, that's that's never going to happen, Doug. That's ridiculous. And, and now I'm kind of like, well, maybe. And then we'll probably see it and it'll probably be terrible because no one can run and it'll be awful. But I at least want to see it at this point. Because the impact you know, on the flow of games, that- just to answer the first question, again, yeah. extremely talented ball progressor with his passing. Again, it's not great that he's Pirlo at age 23, uh, but he kind of does like a Pirlo thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem is, it's funny you say that because I was going to say something very similar for Rosetto. I still think the best game I've seen Rosetto play was when they went on the road to Red Bull Arena last year and played in this really weird formation because they had a bunch of injuries and suspensions or something and they were playing like a a 3-5-2 with like Luis Araujo and somebody else uh, and I guess uh, Cisneros up top um, and Rosetto was playing as the deepest he was playing in like the middle of a three as the deepest lying midfielder and I thought he was really good in that role again it was just recycling the ball mainly but I think that um, that's the kind of that's his game his game is to just kind of pass and receive do these simple things if you ask too much of him he's probably just not going to be able to execute those things so I wouldn't rely on him being able to like contribute more than he has but if he can again sustain the kind of play that he's had these first couple games then it's probably good enough Cinco Reyes says, from what you are seeing of Wiley, does he profile better as a left winger or left back? He's done really well at left wing, but I think like for future long-term prospects, he's probably a left back. I don't think he quite has the pace and the dynamism up top to really be a left winger at the level I think he will eventually play at. And I think left mm-hmm. back probably makes more sense for him. And he's got the just the physicality and strength to play at that left back position. Okay really well you know and you wouldn't want to want to waste that I feel like it's kind of he does use it to his advantage at times when he's playing on that left wing but that's the kind of kind of body type that you would want in a more you know in a fullback so I see him definitely as, as a left left back but hey fullbacks nowadays are very much attacking players mm-hmm. and you know he fits that mold perfectly agreed agreed uh, I am Yurgos says well a more offensive minded Josetsu and Yurgos help Eruzu be more Effective. Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves on Hosetsu. Yurgo should help. Yurgo <laughs> should help. Etienne should help. I really, I'm still holding out hope on Louise. Uh, Rubber Anchor says, I'm sure it's not possible, but let's say you were in the FO and tasked with convincing Almada to extend his contract in Atlanta. What would your strategy be? Uh, I personally would not do this. I would get that money. Uh, but. <laughs> I guess it'd be something like the same pitch SKC gave to Ronaldo about like being a big fish in a small pond kind of thing. Also, here's fifty million dollars. <laughs> yeah, might have to get Arthur Blank's yacht involved somehow. <laughs> yes. Money yacht two backed right uh-huh. up to Tiago Almada's house. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's happening, guys. And Pineda Head Seventeen says. Uh, thinking about Ibarra's tackle now, would you rather fight 50 duck-sized Franco Ibarra's or one Franco Ibarra-sized duck? And the answer is the Franco Ibarra-sized duck. Like, it's not even close. Like, 50 Franco Ibarra... Like, the ducks are, like, relatively big, and, like, they're going to, like, be relatively strong because Franco is relatively strong. They have thumbs. All 50 of them have thumbs. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You don't want the no. thumbs. The opposable thumbs are tough to deal with when you got 50 of Give them. Give me the one duck. Um... Can I go back really quickly oh, just uh, to go back uh, on, on Amada? No, 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 to go back on Amada real quick. I, I appreciate like in the locker room like last night how he kind of like in, in some respects like doesn't hold himself up as like a superstar. He's like asking like talking to media like asking like was it like about the offside call and stuff just like kind of chatting while everybody circled around Mateus Rosato's locker because he was the goal scorer <laughs> and like Tiago Amada is just like sitting there uh, chatting while he's like you know spraying massive amount of axe up his shirt so there's that that's that is the superstar aspect of him but I don't know I just thought that was kind of funny nothing's a superstar like Oh, the middle school gym locker room. All right, Jeff Patrick, let's get out of here. Uh, there have been about 14,000 cop cars that have driven by during this. I hope you've enjoyed the ambiance of, of the police and fire stations and me chasing after my dog and all that kind of thing. You can get more of this ambiance and some actual analysis as well at patreon.com slash 
five stripe finally go check it out come join the discord coming out with us and check out the striker sam is doing the best la united journalism around here and he's working his ass off doing it but i w- even if he wasn't working his ass off and it was this quality content i would still say go check it out <laughs> and it's worth your it's worth it's worth the subscription for sure uh yeah definitely definitely putting in the work uh i got a g- good thing coming out this week i, I think uh, about uh, well I'm, I'm gonna talk to garth tomorrow uh, I'm going to talk to Garth for nice. like an hour or so, hopefully. Um, don't know what we're going to talk about, but we'll figure it out. I- I'm sure soccer will be involved. <laughs> I'm sure soccer will be involved, nice. so keep an eye out for that. Uh, I've I'll got be some stuff to think about. Um, Anton on the way, hopefully, as well this week as we head to Charlotte. Um, yeah, should be good stuff, thestriker.com. Cool? Cool. Let's go. Cool. Bye, all. tuning in everyone to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.